We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And folks, we are going to have to ask you all to take a huge step back. A huge step back. Everyone needs to... Everyone take a deep breath now. Chris, say it with me. Goosefraba. That's right, folks. The Goosefraba podcast. This time we're talking spectatorship and stadium edition. Everyone just needs to take a deep breath and relax. We have a great show planned for you tonight. We've got an in-depth look at the stadium situation and the, the vaccination uproar. But first, this was Father's Day weekend. This past weekend. Now, Chris, obviously you had to work. You weren't with your parents. Did you at least call or text your dad? I called my dad, I think, Sunday night at like 8.30. Okay, and what did he do with his father's dad? Uh, well, we all went in and got him a, uh, my brother and my mom. We all chipped in, and he's, he got a pole pruner. Okay, yeah. For pruning, like, trees. Yeah. I don't know. My dad, like, I know over the last couple of years, my dad's been a real big fan of getting the ladder out. And he's like... I don't know how old my dad. My dad was born in 51. Do the math. He's like 70. <laughs> yeah, so you, so you don't necessarily 70. want that guy in a ladder yeah. trying to trim tree branches. Yeah, so we got him a, we got him a pole pruner. <laughs> so what, he was he was just a bush trimming fool out there in the yard all day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually had to call my... I had to call... I called my dad. Obviously, he didn't answer the phone. So then I had to call my mom so I could wish him Happy Father's Day. Well, there you go. That's nice. Now, see, I have a brother who didn't even call or text my father, which is hysterical. I mean, he's, he, I mean, he's kind of a boob anyway. Although, aren't we all as gear? I mean, you've met us all. It's like we're all varying degrees of boobs, right? Yeah. <laughs> my, 
my first Father's Day was technically last year, but my kid was like two weeks old. He didn't even have his eyes open, so it didn't feel real. And he couldn't balance his head on his shoulders. No. So now this year was it felt like the first time, and I got to say it was a, it was a blast, right? I got together with my family. We took him over to my parents' house. Had his first day in a swimming pool. He absolutely killed it. He's not afraid of the water. Um, he loved it. Uh, it, it was it, it was a great day. I grilled. I grilled. St- I did st- steak and my world famous uh, honey garlic and lime shrimp skewers. Because you know I'm 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 good like that. Which prompted a question, Chris. I know that you recently bought a grill, and at my recommendation, bought the Weber Spirit uh, Spirit Two. All right, let's rephrase that. I did not buy a grill. My girlfriend bought a grill. Okay. See, I was see, I was going to spare you the embarrassment of having to admit that your girlfriend bought the grill that is currently like in your like in your life. You have a grill, and you didn't buy it. Neither did she. Technically, <laughs> she spent like. $150 because she had like over $600 in Home Depot gift cards okay. to spend. So now when you grill, see now I'm, I'm out here and I'm working on my dad's just hunk of crap grill that the, the temperature gauge doesn't work. He's like, oh, don't, don't use that burner. We call that old Sparky. Stay away from that one. <laughs> like, and I don't know how this man cooks anything on it, but I managed to do a good job because I'm a grill aficionado. Now you as someone who's learning how to grill. Who does most of the grilling in your relationship? Usually it's me when I'm over there. It's I'm the one behind the grill. Sometimes it's her, but she'll marinate all the food. Because generally like if we grill out, it's you know like a Saturday night, and I'm working Saturday 7 a.m. to p.m. So when I get to her place, you know it's like 7.45. So there's, no, there's nothing for me to – there's no time for me to prep anything. Okay. It should already be done so that when I get there – we can just throw it on the grill. What do you know how to grill so far? What have you learned? I mean, I can grill. I can grill chicken and steak. Okay. Sausage. Hot, one one like, inch thick ribeye. How many minutes per side? We've not done a ribeye. What kind of steak do you cook? I think we've had fillets. All right. How many minutes per side? I don't know. I don't. Pop quiz, hot shot. Come on, this is like the bus in speed. <laughs> I don't time it. I love you, Chris. I love It's like you. a couple minutes aside, and then stick a temperature gauge in there, see what the temperature is. <sighs> Cooking steak using a probe. You'll get there someday. So I feel like this is Geppetto talking to Pinocchio going, someday you'll be a real boy. Don't worry. Someday you'll cook a steak without needing the temperature gauge. I, I, I'll, assu- I'll assume that, like, I know there's people out there that when they think it's done, they'll, like, cut into the middle. And to, to check that it's done. If I see you doing that, I'll flip the grill. Like if I'm a if I'm your neighbor and I watch you cutting a steak like that. I've seen people do that before. Oh, that's enraging to me. <laughs> I would have to move. I'd have to move, or I'd have to have the town kick you out of your house because we can't live together. We can't coexist. So in any event, just grilling yesterday made me think of you and your new grilling adventures, and I, talk about gifts. You got you got your dad a, a pole pruner. You know, I got my dad drunk. I showed up with steaks and giant pictures of mojito, and he got drunk and told us all, not drunk, but he started drinking and then told us all about his plan to buy a minivan and just travel the U.S. like the legend of Bagger Vance, just literally living out of a minivan in various, you know, 
microtels and very just driving golf course to golf course all across the country. He was like minivans, eighteen thousand dollars. I could buy a brand new one. Just beat the hell out of it. Sounds like he'd be, what is it, the guy from King of the Hill and Beavis and Butthead do America, where he just <laughs> drives across America? That's that's how I would picture your, da- your dad doing that. I don't know, but so he lays this on us, which we got a kick out of. And for me, my wife and son, which my wife still contends it was my son's idea, got me slate coasters with lasered into them are the X's and O's diagrams of famous Buffalo Bills plays. And it's awesome because I was either there in attendance or as a child watching some of these. And it's just like, that's a cool and kind of unique gift, right? Yeah. So you guys got like, you got like the Cowboys Monday night football field goal play. (laughs) Was that on there? (laughs) Was it uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick interception in the end zone against New England? (laughs) What are some other coaster-worthy, horrible plays? Uh, Jeff Tool's 99-yard pick six against Kansas City that cost us the game. That's a good one. A classic one for all the our older listeners would be the uh, Ronnie Harmon drop in the end zone against Cleveland back in the 80s. No, but it was an awesome gift, and uh, no, I, I, I really just enjoyed the hell out of my first Father's Day. But in terms of gifts, we also got a gift this weekend. The podcast. And while it's not a Father's Day gift, I, Chris, I, I don't know. This is up there with what my family got me. I didn't expect, I didn't expect to, I didn't think we were expecting anything. And the, you know, the, somebody knocked on the door at like 1030 in the morning on Friday. And I looked out the window and I could see it was the FedEx guy. So then when I went to open the door and the guy was gone, there was no package there. He was a, Gone across the street, and he dropped a package off and then turned around, and he saw me standing outside. And so he went back, got the package, brought it to me, and he was like, I just need to check of the last name. And I was like, well, there's three last names in this apartment building. And so I told him the names, and he was like, no, that's not it. And I go, okay. He's like, Rockpile? I'm like, oh, that's my podcast, <laughs> The Rockpile Report. Who looks at that and goes, this is a name? What an idiot. Because it, it's it said on the box, it said, like, Chris and Drew Rockpile. <laughs> what is this, the Flintstones? I don't know. Are we, like, a very progressive couple in an episode of the Spring? I guess. The, he was, the Flintstones. Yulberg was going to combine her last names, which, <laughs> if you combine her last names, it's not too far off from my last name if you do crew gear. Yeah, he said, it's close. We can make that work. But no, I like Drew and Chris Rockpile. I think I, I like this. I, I like the vibe of it. But so he was nice enough to gift us with a bottle of horse soldier bourbon. Uh, it's out of Ohio. The United States of America was forged by pioneers, bold trailblazers, explorers, and warriors. And in the, in the American spirit of adventure, we proudly present horse soldier bourbon whiskey. It is, doesn't say how long it was aged. It's 43.5%. I don't know, Chris. I had some of it on Friday because I got to go to work tonight. I can't have any. Gonna pop that. Oh, and so that means I get to sit here and drink a delicious bourbon in front of you. Now, I have one of the clearest blocks of ice anyone's ever seen because Chris is a madman when it comes to cocktail ice. It's got a nice color to it. 
I like the smell, it's faint. It's not the strongest, bur some, some bourbons have a very strong scent to them. This one doesn't, I kind of like that. No, when I, when I tried it, I didn't really have a, a ton of burn on the back of it. It was pretty good. Mm. It's not mouthwash, it's bourbon. Gotta roll it around in there. I like that. It's got a lot of flavor. And you're right, it's very smooth. I mean, I think that uh, that probably owes to the 43. It's not your traditional. I mean, some oh, there's a lot of bourbons that roll around at about 45%. Yep. This one takes us just a slight step back, but it's still more than your standard bottled spirit. I got to say, this is, it's one of those bourbons where it's light on your tongue when you first drink it, but the taste will linger a little bit. So it's got some hold there. And at the same time, it finishes really clean, really clean. This is a bourbon that I could get myself into some trouble with. I could get into some trouble with this on like a Saturday night with some music in the backyard, a grill, watching watching Chris try to grill me a filet. We need to make this happen. We, we need to broadcast you grilling. I think it's going to happen here sooner rather than later. If I was to grill you a steak, the... I would grill you a steak, pull it off the grill, put it on a plate, put it in front of you while you sit at a white linen table, and then I would pick the steak up and slap you in the face with it. <laughs> mm. No, this is going to be good. Yulberg, from the bottom of my glass and my heart, thank you, sir. We very much appreciate this. Chris? I think it makes it taste better knowing that you have to sit there sober and bored while I sip on this. I know. <laughs> it just makes it taste even better. But as we jump into the nuts and bolts and the meat of tonight's show, everyone was feeling good on Friday. I know I was. I was looking forward to this weekend. I'm saying to myself, okay, Friday, I got some stuff I got to get done. And then this is going to happen. And Saturday, I got some running around to do. But all of this is going to culminate with this Father's Day of me and my dad and boozing by a pool with some great weather, my kid, my wife. It's going to be an awesome day. And everyone was in a good mood, right? We were all in a good mood on Friday afternoon. And then around lunchtime, as the internet usually does, it decides to come around and piss in our cornflakes. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. That was the sound of the Buffalo News ruining everybody's Friday. Now, on Friday, a report penned by the Buffalo News came out that our county executive had once again made statements about the upcoming attendance policies for 2021 at the Buffalo Bills Stadium. Now, I'm going to read them to you as they were laid out. I want to see that stadium full. I know the Bills want to see that stadium full. We want to return fans back to the stadium. That's why the county supports returning all fans to the stadium and hockey arena this fall. We know there's a way to do it. We know there's a way to ensure it. That's that all fans and staff are fully vaccinated. Our plan is that unless you are vaccinated, you will not have entry to the stadium. It is easy. It is safe. We can then guarantee 70,000 plus people at the stadium. It is our intention to move forward with this plan. The county owns the facilities, and our goal is to ensure a 100% safe environment. 
Now, obviously, Chris, that caused an uproar. Got everybody's hackles up, rustled everybody's jimmies, and... But did he say anything different there than what we already knew Erie County wanted to do? No. I mean, this is essentially what he said a couple months ago, right? The same thing that set off a similar tidal wave of criticism and online argumentation, which is what Facebook almost seems to be for at this point. It's just a place for people to go yell at each other. Now, last time, it took less than 24 hours for the governor to issue a statement, essentially saying that they weren't even sure if polling cars in Erie County had the legal right to make such a mandate and that everybody needed to just calm down. Chris, you're telling the internet to calm down. Good luck with that. Good luck telling people on Twitter or your drunk uncle on Facebook to take a deep breath and try to be pragmatic about something. Don't let it bother you or rile you up. And once again, here's Polencar doubling down on something he's already been finger-wagged over by New York State and getting a similar public reaction. And now, because of, just for me personally, because of how it went last time, I had literally zero reaction to any of this. And given that I wasn't shocked when less than 48 hours later on Sunday, a complete retraction gets issued by Mark Polencars himself from his tweet on June 20th. Based on few new COVID-19 cases, zero on Friday and four yesterday out of thousands of tests, low hospitalizations and good vaccination rates, we are rescinding the vaccination requirement to attend Bills games and stadium events. We will revisit in the, in the future if circumstances warrant. <laughs> wow, you suck at this. What? <laughs> Chris, what the man just said, 48 hours after his original statement, which I just read to you all, is the equivalent of you telling someone that you quit when you've already been fired. You've already been told that you don't have the ability to make said policy. <laughs> and then you say, well, yeah, I'm going to do these things anyway. And then they come back again and say, Mark, we had this conversation. Remember, you don't get to make that call. And he goes, yeah, well, yeah, well, just so you know, I'm the one rescinding it. No, I, I'm doing it, not because you told me I can't, but, but that's what it comes down. Doesn't, isn't that what it feels like? Yeah, he said it before. I think he, Friday they put that statement out, and I guess with the reaction that it got, then they backtracked it. It's almost like he was getting canceled. Well, which is almost more, I don't know what's more embarrassing. Now, that's not to say that I agree or disagree with the policy. I mean, we've already established on this podcast that I don't think it's any of my damn business what other people do. And to me, this isn't even a political matter. Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Scientologist, uh, Space Marines, I don't know. Whatever, whatever you tend to believe in. As it is one guy and a group of very luckily faceless individuals who kind of use him as a meat shield in these moments... That just keep he just keeps getting his hands slapped by by overstepping his his legal boundaries, and in the process making himself look kind of ineffective, both to his detractors and his supporters here in the Western New York area. I mean, I'll speak for speak for myself. I mean, I don't. Again, we Chris, how often do we ever talk politics on this podcast? Never, never. I don't mind Mark Poland cars. I never have. I know some people think he's, again, and a lot of that's based on political lines, but people have had a problem with him over the years. I've heard him speak on the stadium issue specifically on WGR, 
and he's referred to a number. He's made a lot of smart points. And listening to him speak, I often find myself thinking to myself, you know, that's a guy who seems like he's fairly pragmatic. He's kind of the down the middle guy that we need to get things done here locally. So when I see stuff like this, I think I'm I'm disappointed at the end of the day in the fact that here's a guy who I thought was a decent leader because he wasn't bombastic. He wasn't trying to be so progressive that he turns everybody off or so conservative that he, you know, that nothing was getting done here locally. It just, <laughs> and now he's making himself look like a boob. And I don't know what to do with that other than to be disappointed. And ultimately, whether you agree or not, I think we can consider this issue largely settled on its own, right? 100%. When you, when you shoot and miss twice like this, what are the odds you try it a third time? I would say zero. It's got to be pretty embarrassing for you as a politician to have to do that, like, walk of shame after you say things like that. I just, I I guess the thing I wish is that I wish he was handling this better because, again, it was a guy that I I hold some respect for because I thought he was a pragmatic, well-spoken, kind of heady individual. And I wish that things online or that things between people just weren't so polarized and everyone didn't get all whipped up when it over every little thing. Because it turns out this was much ado about nothing. But that's the state of the world we live in. So, again, I want everyone to take a deep breath. Say it with me. Chris? Goose Fraba. And I will drink to that. On another front that had people at each other and just riled up heading into what should have been a nice weekend... I mean, I think slight, I'd call it slightly happier and less conflicting, if not unnecessarily confrontational news. Although I promise you, you 20 minutes from now as I'm talking about this, you're not going to think, you're not going to, it's not going to seem that way once I really dig into this topic here. Friday, the news also broke that the Buffalo Bills are making headway on their stadium situation. The situation is a multi-layered one. It's still fairly fluid. And like the previous segment is going to require that everybody take a deep breath as we look at the various factors in play. I think one thing that escapes people here is that they have a hard time seeing the forest for the trees. And I'm sorry if me saying that sounds like I'm on some kind of like I put myself on some kind of intellectual pedestal. Trust me, I'm not a smart man. No, you're not. And your teeth state that for you. I'm sure it was throwing wicker furniture. There's video evidence of it. So I'm not going to sit here and act like I have some superior line of thinking that I'm or that I'm smarter than the rest of you. I think it's just being able to take a step back, being myself, having some skin in the game, living here locally, having season tickets, and also just based on the way I think and the way I see things as it relates to what I do professionally, as it relates to me personally, being able to take a step back and look at all of the factors of a given situation to kind of see things for what they are rather than just being dead set on this is what I want and if I don't get what I want, I'm gonna, I think it's a mistake. First of all, I think the funniest part of all this is hiring Jerry Jones's legends in global sales planning. I mean, that was one of the first things that got people riled up here in Bill's country was the announcement that the company, legends in global sales planning, which I don't even know what, what is that? Like when you hear that, global sales and planning, 
I have no idea. I don't, that just sounds so generic. It sounds like a fake business is what it sounds like. Like, if I was running a Ponzi scheme, I think that's the type of name I would come up with. Because it's so ambiguous, you don't know what I do. <laughs> or, or, if I was out there trying to tell myself, like, pick up checks, and I didn't have a good job, but I wanted to put on a suit and tie and go downtown... And try to, you know, go go hang out at, uh, what are some fancier places downtown, Chris? People like me don't know these things. Uh, let's see, Teutant, uh, Allen Burger Venture. What's the uh, place with the hotel bar on the roof and the, the hotel and the chandelier bar inside? Curtis Hotel. The Curtis Hotel. So if I was going to go to the Curtis Hotel and throw a suit on and try to scam on just rich, older women... I'd, get, I'd print some business cards with a fake company on it, and Legends Global Sales and Planning would absolutely sound like something you would put on that card. And I think you would be dressed like Crockett or Tubbs. <laughs> That's what I would. I would. You have to have that type of outfit. Hey, this is the my bi- bi- Yeah, business cards, the the whole works with your with your fake business on it. But legend. But but just the name of this company sounds like something that would fit that bill. But they were pegged as the corporate group the Bills are going to trust to guide them through the processes of developing the stadium, dealing with state and local governments as it pertains to zoning and funding, structuring naming deals and sponsorship agreements. All of these things get funneled into one corporate entity that's going to do a lot of this for us, or at least work alongside the Bills and use their expertise in those sorts of avenues to help smooth out the process. Now, none of that would mean any anything to anyone, nor would anyone care if that organization wasn't owned by Jerry Jones, the owner of the locally reviled Dallas Cowboys. I've already heard all the jokes, the naysaying, but allow me to outline for you why this move is important. When the Pagulas were approved as owners for the Bills back in 2014, that approval, it came with this implied caveat that a new stadium was going to be necessary. Do you recall those conversations where it's called oh, the Pagulas have been ratified a new stadium is definitely part of this agreement. Yeah, I was uh, going back through our old shows. June 24th, 2019, we did a stadium topic show because we, I guess we got some... Do you know the episode number so our listeners can go back and I check it I think it's 161. We had, okay. we had Derek C. Apollo on from Rams Talk yes. to discuss... Because he's a Rams fan and they moved from St. Louis and the whole stadium deal and all yep. that that nonsense we discussed. But when we signed a 10-year lease with the stadium, I've, I would have figured a stadium would have been finished by now. <laughs> yeah. So we knew at that point that something on this front was going to have to happen. Now, COVID derailed a lot of this. Okay, But that mandate was made. And that mandate comes from those owners who feel, and I'd say that it is, from a business perspective, it's a defendable position. Don't don't scream at me, and if you do, I won't listen anyway. That revenue sharing might be a good thing for the health of the league, but in terms of their status as independent businesses, which according to the Supreme Court and L. Davis, every NFL team is its own independent entity, and to these owners' own personal fortunes, it's a bum deal. And of all those owners who feel that way, none of them are more vocal and influential than Jerry Jones. The man who, as ESPN broke down last year, single-handedly, remember that article that ESPN put out that had all of the nuts and bolts and the deep dive they did on how the LA stadium situation 
like went so sideways because it seemed like they had a plan. The Spanos family thought they had a plan. They had all the votes. They had the owners buy in from around the league. Everything was gravy. They were going to go share a stadium with the Raiders in L.A. And that was going to be everything. It was going to be great. And then because they wouldn't cut Jerry Jones in, like right now, he owns contracts for landscaping and maintenance and update. All of his companies own the rights to those things in this new L.A. stadium that Stan Kroenke has. Because they wouldn't let Jerry Jones in, Jerry Jones tanked the Spanos family's project and then got Kroenke's thing approved. That's how influential this one old geezer is. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is that not insanity, Chris? It is insanity. The thing that I'm going to be worried about is the input they have to the Pagulas building the stadium and spending a bajillion dollars that they don't have to. Well, here's the thing. So you're talking about a guy who's so influential, he can derail entire... This was a monster development that took years to plan for the Spanos family, and he killed it. He killed it. That's how influential and greedy that man is. <laughs> I, if you guys don't, I, don't take it from me, Google the ESPN article yourself. I pic- I picture Jerry Jones getting that deal, and and seeing this, this you know it come across like the NFL's of the Spanos deal, and he's like Brendan Fraser and Airheads wipes his ass with it, hands it back. No, it's not happening. I'm gonna ruin this thing right now. <laughs> so. Look at this. I mean, think about who this man is, though, when it comes to revenue sharing. In 95, a year before Art Waddell owning the Browns, flees Cleveland to Baltimore. And they become the Ravens. Jones had aggressively led the fight to suppress in-stadium revenue sharing on luxury boxes, specific types of in-stadium ad revenue. So 95, he was fighting that fight. In 2009, when the Wilf family up there, the Vikings owners were wrangling with Minnesota on a new stadium. Jones was at the forefront and was vocally involved, not just in those negotiations with Minnesota, but also provided transparency on this idea that he's he's going to, he said, in the next CBA, this revenue sharing thing is going away. He said that. He was quoted as saying that to the media. He's been trying to kill revenue sharing in every single CBA negotiation, and he's not going to stop. The founder of our team, Ralph Wilson Jr., famously butted heads with Jerry Jones over this idea that big markets versus small markets, you know? 
the economics of this sport, and Jones' belief that rich teams are so because they work harder, and that anyone not making the money they think they need to be making just aren't working hard enough, or that they're not thinking outside the box enough, that you're not being creative enough. That's why you're struggling. Not because you're in a small market, not because you don't live in Dallas, you live in Buffalo, New York. No, no, no. It's because you don't think outside the box and you're not willing to work hard enough to make more money. I mean, those are statements a simple Google Google search can bring to any of you. And an attitude that Ralph Wilson saw as offensive and detrimental to the health of the NFL. Now, luckily, the rest of the NFL feels the way Ralph Wilson did, at least enough that they allow this revenue-sharing platform to remain in place. But when you think about who among all of the existing owners would have pushed the issue of a new stadium with the Pagulas when they took over for a guy who publicly fought with him over this idea of revenue sharing, you'd be crazy to believe that Jerry Jones wasn't just at the forefront of that group, but that he was rubbing his hands together like Mr. Burns while he did it. (laughs) Am I wrong here, Chris? No, you're not wrong. Okay. Jerry Jones is a real piece of shit. So with that in mind, if... If you're talking about owning a football team in a market like ours, in a state that's strapped for cash, in a city with zero Fortune 500 companies and fluctuating income statistics, I actually like this move. I do. Here's why. Chris, petty, right? To me, this is the same thing. It's, it's akin to having the friend who shows up when you're working on a project or you ask, hey, can you come help me with something real quick? I have a thing that I'm working on and I need your help. I need you to hold some things. You know, I just need you to assist me. And they just show up and tell you about all the ways that things should be done or how, I don't know what you're doing. They know the best ways to accomplish things and that they just assume the people around them aren't, aren't very competent. And Chris, do you know anyone like this? Sitting right across from me. It sounds exactly like you. So that's like you and me. You ask me for help with something, and I come over here and start criticizing the way you're doing it, and you finally just turn around and go, all right, asshead, if you're so smart, you fix it then. Here it is. You you take the screwdriver and take over, smart guy. (laughs) You're essentially putting the ball in this man's court and saying, look, you can sit there and tell me that I'm not doing enough, and then I'm just not exploring the limitations of my situation. Something he said on record before. When his own company is forced to come in here and look at the, 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 the numbers, the data, look at the statistics and say, yeah, they got to go back to Jerry Jones. These are people he trusts. He, he lets them run this business on his behalf. They're going to have to come back to him and go, yeah, Jerry, it's not a joke. Like, they, they, there's no PSLs. <laughs> this uh, billion, half half billion dollar grants from the state. I, I don't I don't see it happening. His head's going to explode. It's akin to when I was in high school and we had a, a high school teacher who was an official. He was an official. He was a referee, or at least certified to be one. But he was a reti- He was an English teacher. He was in his late, I'd say, early sixties. He what sport are we talking here? Football? So this is, no, this is basketball. High school basketball. I'm in eighth grade and I'm sitting on the bench and I see that our coach, because the, one of the refs got held up and just didn't show up for the game. And they're like, well, we can't play a game without a ref. And he goes, I'm certified. I'll come down. I'll ref the game. It's 60 years old. He's going to run up and down the court all day, but he's got a whistle and he's certified. And they look up a certification. They're like, all right, you're good. You're clean. You can ref. Let's go. 
And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, he's going to be partial to us because he's our teacher. But instead, he's a pro, so he does his job the way it's supposed to be done. And there's a missed call on the floor. And I, in typical eighth grade big mouth fashion, I'm talking smack on the back. I mean, if Jeff Landers is listening, I'm assuming he's going to laugh about this. Like, being having been a referee himself, I'm over here just carping up a storm on the bench. Stan Tezik, 63 years old, in front of a gymnasium full of people, calls a referee's timeout in the middle of the game and walks over to the bench and goes, hey, gear. Because I've been in his classes, so now he knows me by name. And snaps his fingers in front of my face. He goes, you think you can do this job? You want to get out here and do it? And he takes the whistle off and holds it out to me. And I was just, I've, I've never felt smaller in my entire life. <laughs> Everyone's staring at me. I'm supremely embarrassed. And he goes, no? Okay, then shut up. And he knows he can talk to me. <laughs> and then he goes back to re- to refing the game. Well, this is kind of the same thing for Jerry Jones. It's like, okay, old man. Old man who thinks that we're just not working hard enough here in Buffalo to maximize revenue. Here you go. Your company's going to spearhead this thing. Good luck to you. I love it. I think it's a great move. I think it because it's going to help satisfy those money-hungry, power-hungry individuals in the NFL ownership because the Pagoulas have no pull, right? I don't, they're too I don't think so. They're too wet behind the ears to have any real say or have any real alliances or to have any personal gravitas. So instead, you let Jerry Jones with his big ideas and his big mouth come into town with his company and say, look, you fix it then if you think you can do something better. And when he finds out, if he finds out he can't, I think that goes a long way, Right. Yeah, I think that'll that'll go a long way. It's gonna, for me, it's gonna come down to if like Jerry Jones's company comes in here and it's like we need, we need to get Buffalo a stadium that's in line with L.A., Dallas, Atlanta, Minnesota. <laughs> like, just give all I want. All I want in a new stadium is give me Cleveland or give me Pittsburgh, the twenty twenty one versions of those stadiums. That's all I need. I actually love Pittsburgh Stadium, but we're, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But ultimately, isn't it funny? I mean, this almost feels like a troll job, and I like it. I think it's a smart move on the Pagula's behalf because these are the people who have your these are the people who have your future in their hands. Now, one of the other facets that's come out of this, now we're going to pivot, the fact that it's been announced that the, the location of this, regardless of what format they choose, whether it's a renovation, whether it's a whole whole new stadium, it's going to be in Orchard Park, not in downtown Buffalo the way so many fans had hoped. Now, this was another thing that got people up in arms, despite all the logistical hurdles that have always made this idea something of a pipe dream. There is a vocal group of Bills fans who over the years have pounded the table for a domed stadium. There's another loud segment of the fan base that seems to believe that the stadium has got to be located in downtown Buffalo because the quote-unquote revitalization of the city hinges on this. And there's still more fans who I constantly see on Facebook and Twitter stumping for this multi-use facility and we need something that's in use 50 days, 60, 70 days that can host national events and blah, 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 blah. No, all we need is all we need is simple ten to eleven Sundays, and then one or two dates in August for the Rolling Stones to play. So, because I'm again petty man, I went out and collected receipts. Okay, now 
this is what I want to talk about. First of all, this dome thing seems to be a huge issue. There's a vocal group of Bills fans out there on Twitter, not just on Facebook. Not just. I want to read you some of these tweets. From Chris Trapasso, fellow Blue Wire Network podcaster now, which, hey, big ups. Hey, oh, you don't even have a drink in front of you. What a loser. Oh, no. it, it must suck. I can grab to, a can of pineapple juice. It must. <laughs> I'm not touching that with a 10 foot ball. Uh, it must suck as a guy who has to go to work to watch a guy sit over here and sip whiskey and a beer. And yet, you know that you got to go to work. Oh, this must suck for you. Yeah. But then I can, I'll be able to drink on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and. I get to drink every day, cause I'm an adult. And I'm a free American and I can do what I want. Just like Chris Trabasso is a free American and can use Twitter to voice his personal opinions. And he says, for the record, building a new Bill Stadium, regardless of Western New York location, but especially if it remains in Orchard Park, without a dome slash retractable roof, would be a giant misstep. Uh. Buffalo, so to that, our you know, Buffalo ceilings on Twitter, he's low buffa at, you know, at low buffa, I guess it is, which is weird to me. I don't know if everything else was taken. What are you doing, buddy? It's likely around 150 to 200 million to build a retractable roof on a stadium or a dome, excuse me, a dome on a stadium, not even a retractable one, but just a dome. And that was Years ago, you're talking back in the like 2010s. So it's not adjusting for inflation. Two hundred million dollars on a one point—it's a considerable upcharge. He responded to him with that. Now, some of the other people I saw it on Twitter voicing their just someone named Rob Rob Four Twelve says, "I can't believe there's going to be no roof. Just awful." Hey, do you know where that person hails from? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a, a city with a football team with no roof that has no roof up uh, at J N E N N S K I J Nensky. But he goes by Adam Matthew. So I don't know if this is a troll account or what he says. I bet they sell it as a quote unquote advantage to play their home games in the elements. That 1990s out of touch explanation will trigger me. You want to talk about being triggered? This guy from, that guy's from Ohio. But the fact that you live in the state of Ohio, the state that embraced Skyline Chili, instead of killing it and whoever created it in its infancy like you should have done, that doesn't trigger you? Then I'm not worried about what you think is a bridge too far. I'm not. Someone whose handle is at California Bills with a Z, but his, hand, but his profile name is Josh Allen's father. Power rankings of what I would have wanted. One, downtown Dome Stadium. Two, downtown Open Air Stadium. Three, renovate the Ralph. Four, Dome Stadium somewhere in the suburbs. Number 1067, Open Air Stadium in Orchard, Open Air New Stadium in Orchard Park. You go by California Bills. So I'm assuming you're from California, or at least you reside in California. Your state's on fire. You don't get to talk to me about what happens here, buddy. I, I, <laughs> and how about this one? At, at Amplified to Rock, who goes by Dolphins Talk Josh. The Bills Stadium is a dump, so this would be a much appreciated improvement. 
and an overhang would lessen the swirling winds that are standard in Orchard Park. That's whose side of this thing you people want to be on? Some disgruntled Dolphins fan who's mad because his team sucks ass every time they play here in Buffalo? I feel, I feel like Michael B. Anthony in Black Panther. This is your king? This is the guy that you want to be, you want to be on that side of this argument with that guy? Chris, I usually, that's something I'll say to myself. Whenever I have, because you know me, I'm the owner of a lot of flagrant and bombastic opinions. Outrageous, outlandish. I, uh, it's like a Jackie Childs. Egregious, outrageous, outlandish. That's me. That's me and most of my opinions. When you get to know me away from this podcast and away from, when you get to know me personally. Usually one of the things I like to think to myself, though, when I find myself on a certain side of an argument is I look around at the other people who are on my side of it. And I start to see how well-adjusted they are. And if there's a lot of people on my side that I look around and I go, well, that guy's a psychopath. That guy isn't someone that I would want within 100 feet of an elementary school. You, you start to question whether or not you're on the right side. Because that's an adult human response, right? Yeah. Now, I could keep going, but I think you get the picture here. There's a lot of people who think that they know what's best for the Buffalo Bills, mostly centered around their own selfish wants and needs, weighed against the fact that they're not season ticket holders who could be forced into buying PSLs to fund any new construction. They're not people whose day-to-day lives, commutes, and neighborhoods would be disrupted by a project of that size and scope. And they're certainly not residents who would get stuck footing the bill for an expensive new stadium downtown with a dome. So for starters, that tweet that I sent out on Friday, for those of you who didn't see it, then allow me to elaborate, because I mean this with all due respect in the same way Ricky Bobby uses that term. If you don't both attend more than one game per year and also live here in the state of New York or in Western New York where the tax implications of this stadium will inevitably be something that you have to be confronted with, then I have absolutely, positively, zero interest in hearing your opinion on what the Buffalo Bills should do at their stadium. Fair or not fair, sir? 100% fair. I, I agree with that statement. Now, it's a free country. I mean, you can go outside. Bro. I could go outside right now. I could get up from behind this microphone, walk out into Chris's front yard, and start screaming at the top of my lungs, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. That's the beauty of being a free American, is that I can, I can say anything I want, right? But nobody has to care. Nobody is obligated to give a damn about me, my rantings, you people who show up every week and listen to this. You don't have to care. I love that you do. I love each and every one of you. If you went outside, somebody, I don't know their name, but we know what house it is. Somebody across the street might have an issue with you standing in my yard yelling. Oh, is it the guy who fought his kid? Maybe. Is it the guy who was pushing his kid around like a year or two ago? Because I've been looking for an excuse to go over there and beat that guy up. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, that's that's not that, that's a little inside baseball. Sorry, guys. Yeah, Chris has a neighbor who uh, gets handsy with his high school age son, and there's a part of me I'm just like, if it happened, it happened. I'm not gonna go seeking a fight, but also, I wouldn't hesitate to put that guy through a wall. It'd be fun. <laughs> Larissa gets the phone call. Hey, honey, you're gonna have to come bail me out. You were you were recording a podcast. Yeah, well. Yeah. You know how it happens. Yeah, other things happened. Something happened. I heard something outside. Things I went happened. to I went to go check on it and then I figured I had to get involved. <laughs> Chris, I am get involved guy. I can't help myself. 
but with that said, there's a lot of you out there who have these opinions, but just know that I and a massive contingent of Western New York don't give a damn what you think because you don't have the same level of skin in the game that we do. So having said that, you guys listen to this show because you think I'm entertaining, that I'm fun, that I'm a good time. But as Chris knows all too well, I'm also capable of being the worst wet blanket anyone's ever seen. I can kill a good time real quickly. True or false? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm, I'm an ace at it. I'm capable of being the guy who knocks over the DJ booth at a wedding and instead of being embarrassed, starts to lecture all of you about the ways that you're, the, the ways that what you're wearing is wrong, that uh, that's too close to white. You shouldn't be doing that. That man is far more intoxicated than me, so he should be in more trouble than I am. <laughs> that's who I am. So with that in mind, I, in the words of Dodgeball's White Goodman, let me hit you with some knowledge. Jenny McBride from the Democrat and Chronicle. She tweets out an article, which I urge you all to go read. We've retweeted it over at our handle at Rockpile Report. She says, the new Bills Stadium won't be in downtown Buffalo, but yet again in Orchard Park. Per the report, the cost of the new Bills Stadium could likely surpass $2 billion, though it could rise much higher and it could require taxpayer money. Let's have a conversation about that. So we've already established that a dome adjusted for inflation, I probably if it was 150 to 200 back in the 2010s. I mean, the last stadium that was built was what, Atlantis? Yeah. And that's a retractable roof with a weird design, so it was more it, expensive. The, the roof in Atlanta opens like a camera shutter. Yeah, and it, it was very expensive because they wanted it to be fancy, and then it was broken and just didn't work, which is hilarious, because that's like all new shiny things that are <laughs> ultimately not that worthwhile. But you're talking about adding, I'd say, adjusted for inflation and current construction costs and price of materials. 300 million plus to the cost of any stadium project. So if you're talking about a $2 billion stadium, now you're at 2.3 billion. Now here are some cold realities. In 2015, Matt Spina of the Buffalo News penned an article that I'm gonna link in the show's description for you, outlining how the A, it's ACOM, A-E-C-O-M, which was an LA Metro development consultation firm, was brought in to look at downtown stadiums and outlined the pros and cons for each of the downtown stadium's potential locations. The outcome is that every single stadium location would require upwards of $200 million in upgrades to the local infrastructure around them. Highway access, railway access, bus access, pedestrian tunnels, or overhead walkways to facilitate 60-ish thousand people trying to walk to a, a one destination while traffic and, you know what I mean? Like, Chris, you... You can shut down 20A. Like, where we tailgate, we take 20A to get to the parking lot. We park. After the games, they shut down 20A, which is a four, it's, it's two lanes in each direction, so it's a four-lane road. And they make, let all four lanes be filled with traffic flowing away from the stadium. You can't do that downtown. You can't. You can't widen the streets, right? <laughs> There's nowhere to go. Not without massively disrupting everything that's going on downtown every single game day. So now you're talking $2.5 billion for a stadium. Not to mention the disruption and the displacement that's going to take place in these neighborhoods, right? Because there's homes, there's existing businesses, there's things that are going to have to be relocated. And that doesn't even scratch how much conduit is going to have to get run to power a stadium like that. 
Right now, there are miles and miles of tunnels running underneath Orchard Park that had to be built specifically just to carry the conduit and power lines and cable TV lines and fiber optic lines to power Ralph Wilson Stadium. You now have to dig non-existing tunnels under the city of Buffalo to go power this thing. You could be looking at another $300 million invested just in that alone. This is anarchy. You're talking about a $3 billion stadium. And here's why that doesn't make sense here in Buffalo. Every year without fail, Buffalo, New York makes Forbes list of the most vulnerable sports cities. Because based on our population size, our medium household income, and factors like tourism opportunities, projected economic growth, all of these things, they estimate that the city of Buffalo should reasonably be able to afford 0.5 professional sports teams. That's right, half. Half of a sports team is what we should have here in Buffalo. And yet we have two, even if one of them does play like half of a professional sports team sometimes. I mean, not to throw shade, but the Buffalo Sabres this year played like the sports team Buffalo could afford. So that brings me to PSLs. Now, if you go to unusualinvestments.com, again, another thing I'm going to link in the description of tonight's show, because I want you all to know I'm not just blowing smoke up my ass. I look at all of the factors in these sorts of situations instead of allowing my own personal wants and my emotions get the best of me. PSLs, everyone's like, oh, well, that's a thing that they could use to offset the cost of building a stadium. A lot of people have done it. According to unusualinvestments.com, you pay anywhere from, uh, look at this, because they were talking about how people can make money off of PSLs. It says the other way you can make money is to sell your PSL for more than you paid. Now, STR Marketplace tracked PSL prices in a number of different markets over a 10-year period from 2002 to 2012. Steelers PSLs gained value at 800%, Ravens about 250 and the Bears over 125 However, keep in mind that was the golden age for PSLs. They were priced cheaply back in the 90s and the 2000s, often only a few hundred dollars a piece. Now, that cost has risen from a couple hundred, what is it? Teams exact a ridiculous price from new PSLs because they can, and partly because the price tags of new stadiums have risen to a hundred, couple hundred million to the $2 billion range. Now, Chris, doesn't that sound exactly like where the bills are? It does. Okay. So when I go further down in the article, which I encourage you all to go read, many of the resales from the New York Giants and Jets Stadium, which is one of the more recent ones to sell PSLs, have sold for a 90% or more discount from the prices the original holders paid to the team. (laughs) A few years ago, I was talking to Potter, one of the guys we have seasons with, about the potential for PSLs on top of the cost of season tickets and what he would do in that scenario. And at that time, as guys in our mid-20s, still trying to put ourselves together financially, he said there's no way he could in good conscience even try and swing that. So, Chris, I bring this to you. Now having season tickets with us for a few years, knowing that you love the practice so much that you're willing to maintain those tickets even when you can't go to the games. Because you know in three or four or five years when you're able to bid out of your job, and into a different time slot, you're going to want to be back with us in the seats. Could you justify trying to afford a two to $3,000 down payment before shelling out $800 to $1,000 a year for seasons? I might be able to pull that off. I mean, as of right now, I don't have any kids that I know about. 
state of New York has not come forward and said, hey, we need some... See that spoon in your mouth? We need it. It's got DNA on it. I'm not married. I don't have... Outside of my car is like my only giant payment that I have. I might be able to swing it, but like if, if PSLs were a thing and they were to be like tens of thousands, then, I, then I'd be out. 100%. 100% like, be out. You but, say yes or no, but it depends on the total, right? You can't with 100% confidence as a fan go, oh, I'm definitely in. No, I can't. And I think... I think if you if we were to call Potter right now and ask him, you know, because you asked him a few years ago, see if we could call him now, find out if his financial situation has has improved, and he could do that. But I would say that Potter would be a hard out on PSLs simply because his girlfriend would say he couldn't do it. <laughs> hey Potter, call in if you call in if you have an explanation. But with our local economics, PSLs just seem like something of a non-starter, which means most of the fundraising would have to come from local taxpayers. So when you hear the phrase taxpayer money, what, what does that mean? Now, Paul Lane of Buffalo Business First Journal joined us for a podcast last summer during the onset of COVID lockdowns for a conversation about how a fanless season would affect Western New York monetarily. And one of the things we touched on during that conversation was that more than 40% of Western New York's tax revenue comes from sales tax. Over the last year, they've made nothing, right? Less than half of what we needed to make our coffers. And given the way things are just now starting to open up and businesses are trying to get on their feet again, it's going to be something of a long road to recovery. Things got so bad here that our local government petitioned the state for relief, to which the state said, we have too big of a hole in our budget. We can't help you. And if the federal government doesn't step in with relief, then your Western New York community is just going to have to cut services or raise tax revenues to keep things like schools, fire departments, community programming. So where, pray tell, does all of this tax revenue come from? For not just those things, but also for a new football stadium. The answers are pretty simple. You're either going to raise my property taxes, or you're going to impose a new sales tax hike that will affect everybody who buys goods in the county. There's states out there. People think about sales tax. It's not set at the state level. Again, as I run our sales tax program at work. There are county different, every county within a given state, there's multiple states out there, that every county has its own rider that they put on top of the state sales tax. And that's what they use to meet their own local needs. And like a place like Texas, you can imagine that where Dallas and where cities like San Antonio and where where they reside, their tax rates are higher because there's a, a bigger need for tax revenue. Whereas when you get out into the rural counties and the rural cities, their tax revenue might be in line with whatever the state level is because they just don't, they not only don't need the tax revenue, but even if they need it, they know that their local population can't support it. So for a state and county that's claiming they're already broke, (laughs) there's also the harsh realities of living in the Rust Belt, right? The Rust Belt, a city where everything was once cool and now everything's dilapidated and there's no money to fix it. That's what makes us part of the Rust Belt, right? Yeah. I mean, well, we all know Rust Belt, at least for this area, is specifically Tonawanda. It's North Tonawanda. (laughs) It's our own internal Rust Belt. Yeah. They're the ones that think rust is a color. 
Kind of the same way I think salmon's a color, and you fight me on this, even though everyone in the world agrees with me. Yeah, salmon is not a color. To folks at Rockpell Report, tweet, tweet us right now as you're listening to this. Is salmon a color, yes or no? The answer is no. So, with that in mind, right, the, the water system, I'm just going to give you one example. There's probably three dozen out there just like it. The water system here in Buffalo is more than 80 to 90 years old. It's mostly lead pipes that were laid about 85 years ago. The city and its outlying suburbs contain over 400, it's just about 400 miles of water main. As of 2020, water main breaks and outages are at an all-time high. I mean, there's surface interruptions, especially in the wintertime, 50 to 80 breaks per month, affecting more than 100,000 residents just this winter alone. Western New York currently has the money, just based on tax revenue and based on the water authority's revenue, to upgrade and replace a handful of miles per year. That's it. Just a few miles. I love this football team, but if somehow Western New York were to be handed some $500 million to a $1 billion in cash and funding, and instead of ensuring that the people who live here actually have reliable utilities like water... You put that into a football stadium? I'd call it political malfeasance, and I'd demand that everybody associated with it not just resign, but we go back to 1776, and we tar you, we feather you, and we put you on a rail, and we ride you to the Tonawandas. That's it. All of this is to say... If you don't live here and only visit here a few times a year, or you're just so detached from what's actually going on in the community that you can't see the forest for the trees, you're not going to understand why the Bills are making the decisions that they're making. You're going to get mad about it. You're going to say they're being short-sighted or they're not thinking big enough. There's the revitalization of downtown. You're welcome to continue voicing those frustrations any way you want. Just know that I and my fellow game-attending, tax-paying Western New Yorkers who do have a macro view of the situation aren't obligated to give a damn about how you feel because at the end of the day, I have more skin in the game than you. And I have a better understanding of how it's happening. And I just hope that you hear some of this and can at least admit that there's a better middle ground than if it's not downtown and if it doesn't have a dome, then this is a joke. There's some real, there's some harsh realities that we as Bills fans have to accept as part of being the most rabid fan base for one of the smallest market teams in the NFL. And I will drink to that. But because I don't believe in ending my podcast on a down note. Chris, say it with me. Goose Fraba. I feel better. I'd instead like to look at what this shiny new future might look like. And this is where we get to have a little fun with this podcast, because I'm done yelling at the microphone. (laughs) I'm done yelling. First of all, they're talking about, during the construction period, games happening in Toronto or Happy Valley, Pennsylvania? Yeah, where Penn State is. I don't know how I feel about this. I, I gotta be honest. The Bills playing one to two seasons outside of Buffalo. Chris, the Toronto idea, first and foremost, to quote the great uh, Ricky Bobby. Well, first, to quote the late great Colonel Sanders. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Uh, to quote Ricky Bobby, with all due respect, and I mean all due respect, that idea ain't worth a velvet paint of a whale and a dolphin getting it on. Didn't we try that before? Yeah. Didn't we go to Toronto? Yeah. Those were some of the 
coolest games, the getting blown out by Seattle, losing to Atlanta fumbling, in overtime. Fumbling away a victory in Atlanta or against Atlanta. Um, what was it? Didn't we beat the Redskins there badly? We In that game, Ryan Fitzpatrick broke his ribs, and then we gave him a contract extension and then just got mollywhopped down in Dallas. We, that game against the Redskins, it's one of the, you hear that stat, it was like, I, I want to say it was like the first time that Mike Shanahan had ever been shut out. Quite impressive. And then we went on to go 6-10. I think that's just further proof that everything that happens in Toronto from a football perspective is garbage. The Argonauts can the Argonauts can kiss my ass. Go Blue Bombers. Go Blue Bombers! With that said, you can't deny that it made money for the football team. I mean, it kept us afloat when the bills were hard up for cash. But there was more away fans than Bills fans. I mean, th- these aren't home games, right? So why would you play a whole season there? The one thing I would say that maybe makes this work, the team was bad before. I mean, when the Bills did this Toronto experiment, that 2011 football team with Ryan Fitzpatrick and the, that was the most successful Bills team we'd seen in, or at least successful looking. We had knocked off the Patriots, and then we lost to the Bengals, and then we waxed uh, the Redskins. We're a five-win football team. What seven weeks into the season you're going? Yeah, I think we were five and two. And you're going. This is a resurgence, but that was an outlier. For most of the Toronto series, the Bills were an abysmal football team. Now you look at what this construction of this team is. Maybe they do more. Maybe more Bills fans would come. Maybe they draw enough numbers that it wouldn't just be a sea of away fans, right? Yeah, uh, you know what? I think the. Uh us, if we were to end up playing in Toronto with how good we are right now in that small window of potentially playing in Canada while the stadium's being built, you wouldn't think with this good of a football team that NBC, CBS, and Fox are like, we got to do some primetime games in Toronto. <laughs> and we end up getting some more primetime games. And that gives the NFL like a harder look at if they were ever going to Expand, which I don't think they would from 32 teams, or move another franchise that they would consider well, Toronto. Expand, but here's the thing, and this is why Russ, this was the genius of Russ Brandon. I mean, he's he can't be that smart because he got caught sleeping with people that he worked with. I mean, that's that's just like that's an obviously fireable offense, right? I shouldn't say that because I'm sure we'll get sued now. So, well, yeah, I mean, I've done it audio, before. Allegedly, Chris, as you always tell me, you say it. Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly, this happened. But it doesn't change the fact that this might have been one of his best ideas. Because here's the thing that when you, I think we talked about this in a previous podcast, when you take Buffalo into account just Buffalo, it's a small market. Now that's based on the previous blackout restriction rules and the, uh, you know, the map that they come up with as far as where you, what your quote unquote region is considered. Yeah. For TV purposes. We discussed that in episode 161, the last stadium debate. So if you go just three miles farther, Toronto is part of the Buffalo Bills, like, area. And if you added in the population of Toronto, the Buffalo Bills would be in the top four for market size in the NFL. There's a reason. Like, there's some strategery. And I feel like Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live saying that out loud. Strategery. 
there's some strategy for the Buffalo Bills to be here in Western New York where it's easily accessible by the Canadian border. This could serve as a reminder of that. Like, hey, look, look at all these Toronto Bills fans, not only that we're making, but now that the team is good. We talked about this dynamic, Chris. All of the all of the fans we have from overseas, all of them will tell the same story. The Bills were on TV a lot because they were super competitive back in the early 90s, which coincided with the first international broadcasts of football games. So people gravitated towards the Bills the same way Canadian fans Canadian fans now that I meet all say they're fans of the Patriots. Why? Because when they started paying attention to football, the Patriots were the team that were winning. The Bills were the team that were winning back in the 90s when inter, when international broadcasts of the NFL first, first got going. And that's how guys like Mike Swenson got roped into this nonsense. Uh, Thomas Bronemere. Over in Sweden, he gets roped into this because they were the team. And you liked as a little kid watching that happen. You like to root for that football team when you see greatness. And then you grow up as an adult. and You don't want to abandon it. This is a real opportunity. It could be for the Buffalo Bills if they were to choose to play in Toronto to take a premier level product and showcase it to Canada and say, hey, look, the last time we were here, we were crap. Now, here's what an elite football team looks like, and guess what? It's playing in your backyards. Patronize this. And then when it comes back across the border, there's going to be a net positive effect on the franchise. True or false? True. It's inevitable. If anything, that's the silver lining for me, because, Chris, do you see me making it across the border eight times a year? No. No, no, I mean, like, me not being detained at the border. I remember going to Montreal once when I was 19 with a bunch of friends randomly. We just picked a spot. We were like, we're going to Montreal. We all piled into an Astro van, and we drove up from outside of Syracuse to the Montreal border because my friend had just broken up with his girlfriend. He was heartbroken. And when we got there, we didn't, like, the driver was sober, but we were drinking in the van because we were like, what's the problem with that? And we got to the border. This is back when you could just get across with a birth certificate. And we tried to register my friend. She was like, do you have any weapons in the vehicle? And we were like, yeah, we got Hector. This kid Hector was six foot three, 136 pounds. 6'3", 136. Imagine in your head what that looks like. And his entire wardrobe consisted of Sean John velour tracksuits. And we tried registering him as a weapon at the border, and they were not impressed with us. <laughs> we all almost went to jail that weekend. But I digress. I think that going to play games in Toronto could have a net positive effect on the Bills long term. Yeah. Then there's this idea that they might play in at Penn State. And there's a pros and cons thing with this. I mean, first of all, the cons, there's a black cloud over that college that I don't think will ever leave for reasons we're not going to get into on this podcast. Uh, there's, they have a bigger capacity which, considering how loud the stadium is with just seventy to 80,000 fans here in Buffalo, that could be something epic. I mean, I reckon we could at least challenge the Seahawks for the loudest crowd record. If you could, what, what is it? What do they see? 120? Somewhere in that ballpark? If you added another 30,000 people, I think we could challenge Seattle. And their cheating half-dome thing that's... You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be up for it. I mean... A, just a small bonus for the if, if it if that was to happen, Penn State. 
I mean, if they're somewhat decent college football, I mean, wouldn't that be just a fun weekend? You could go down to Penn. You could leave like Friday night, go to Penn State for a Penn State home game. Maybe they play Michigan. I'm sure Potter would be up for that. And then the next day is a Bills home game. Air quotes, home game. I'm not going to lie to you. I hadn't even thought about that. The potential for dudes weekend. You just blew my mind, Chris. All the show prep I do, all the notes I put together, I never even thought of that angle. It's, a, it's, a, it's a fun angle to to look at. If Penn State is like halfway decent, and there's a, they're playing a, a Ohio State at home, and you can get tickets, and then the next day it's you know Bills Patriots at Happy Valley. <laughs> You'd want to go to that? Oh, for sure, I want to be there for the whole weekend. You'd probably, in fact, you, I'm not even going to work on Friday. I'm just I'm going there at eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you'd probably have to take the next week off of work to recover. <laughs> I mean, playing across the PA line would make traveling to the game something of a nuisance if you didn't plan on making it a weekend affair. I mean, I currently do. We we currently go at six thirty a.m. We get there. If I left my house at six thirty a.m., I have a screen print, Chris, in our notes here of the Google Maps shot. How long does it say it would take to get from Buffalo to Happy Valley? Well, this is just Google. Google suggests four hours, three minutes. But now you've seen us drive. You driving? I would say I would probably cut that down to three and a half. Because <laughs> if you, because I, you know, I made a, a ton of trips from here to Atlanta driving. And if you Google that it'll tell you like 14 hours and i've done buffalo to atlanta in like 11 and a half hours 12 hours so they're they're a little wrong google's a little wrong with their well what i'll say is this timing in in hopes of now chris you know that i tell you all the time i don't i think the general public is kind of dumb so i don't rely on things like yelp or restaurant reviews but i looked up yelp and TripAdvisor for beaver stadium it's not good not good. Uh, one review. As of today, I have been to all Big Ten stadiums, and this is the worst for getting fans to and from the game. Hardly any signage to help. The signs that are up might as well have been in another language. What roads there are that lead to the stadium are, st- are standstill traffic. We ended up driving back out of the stadium area, four miles, parking at a mall, and taking a bus to the game. Got to our seats with three minutes left in the first quarter, and we got there two hours before kickoff. I feel like that's not going to... Su- An NFL crowd with NFL expectations isn't going to be thrilled with that, are they? Uh, from another... Uh, from a guy named Bandwagon PA from Lancaster, Pennsylvania on TripAdvisor. Horrible long security lines, falling down drunks everywhere, seating much smaller than airline economy. Has he been to a Bills game? Has this guy been to a Bills game? Ultimately, what I know is that it would be fun, and it could be a good it could be a good time playing in Pennsylvania in a bigger stadium, just a change of venue for a year or two. I mean, look at Minnesota did it. Yeah, and they they played it. People bitched and moaned about it when it was happening, but they they they're not ha- they're not unhappy now with their finished product. So I, it, maybe that's going to happen. It'll be interesting to see which of those because, like I just laid out, each one of them has their own pros and cons. And then you look at the new stadium options, the things that you could build, even if it is an orchard park, the things that you could build into a new stadium to make it worthwhile. 
the first concept that could, I mean, I want people to be optimistic about this. There's options available for us to make this. I know everyone goes, it's a waste of time to put an orchard park and you can't do anything. No, you know what you have is the ability to make something far more expansive real estate wise than you could downtown. Is that not true or false? Yeah. Okay. So with a bigger footprint to work with, you can do more things and the team can become more economically viable in doing so. And I've just me, one idiot with a bottle of horse soldier whiskey and a beer is going to I'm going to outline these for you. Even neat. This is nice. I love this. Yulberg, I owe you one, brother. Just check. Keep, keep an eye out. I'll send you the tracking number. I got a package coming your way. First of all, a tailgate village. Now, again, back in that episode of what, uh, 161, was it? Yeah, we did, we did mention that, what they're doing in Green Bay. Okay. We've talked about this concept before. The Buffalo Bills are a widespread fan base. They've got fans who travel in from not just thousands of miles around the country, but from whole continents away. I mean, I'd know. I've tailgated with a lot of you guys. Uh, Rowan Keating, Mike Swenson from Australia. Australia! <laughs> Mike's buddy from Calgary who, Mike, I really, really hope that your friend got himself that second TV because he was really distraught about it. <laughs> I'll say it to the game. Scott from Montreal. Paul from England. Hugo from Portugal. Now, not all of these people are lucky enough to know a guy like me who cooks to feed an army and brings enough booze to drown at least half of one and owns plenty of gear to keep his guests protected or at least comfortable in the elements. I mean, say what your jerks want. You, you, Mark Smith, you want to make fun of me? I found two battery op I found battery operated two different sizes Ryobi misters they're giant fans that'll blow mist that sit on top of a five gallon bucket of water and I'll be damned if I don't own at least two of them by the time tailgating season rolls around <laughs> given that th this idea of creating this immersive space that has food drinks and a ton of pregame entertainment where out of towners or people who especially in the more in inhospitable months who just don't want to be standing outside in a parking lot freezing their asses off but still want to party can go that's still technically on the stadium's campus? That's a phenomenal concept. Buffalo seems like the perfect place for that, doesn't it? Yeah, and if I can uh, offer you... I'm, I'm, I'm slipping into the head of Mark Smith on this one. If you were going to do a Mark Smith tailgate village right now, I mean, what better place than the ECC cafeteria? <laughs> right? This is the man who once famously showed up because his wife was out of town. His wife would never let this happen. He shows up at our tailgate. He goes, don't worry, I'm going to bring something food-wise, and I'll also bring breakfast. He shows up with an Entenmann's coffee cake and a bucket of cold KFC chicken, which, Chris, we... And a case of Schmidt. Oh, and a case of Schmidt beer with a salmon on the can. And we reheated that chicken on the grill, and it turns out it's actually... I had to eat a little crow, because when you reheat fried chicken on a grill, a lot of the grease drains out of it as it's cooking over the open flame. It's actually a lot tastier than, it. I think, regular fried chicken is. Yeah, and he did bring the bucket it was served in the previous <laughs> night. That's we my can't, point! He we can't, with the bucket! Yeah, it wasn't in a... He didn't, like... 
transfer it to a plastic bag, put it in the refrigerator. Okay, I'm going to bring this to the tailgate tomorrow. No, he just put the bucket in the fridge and then brought the bucket the next day. That's why I love him, and that's why he's the Rock Pile Reports official attorney. But so when you give people the opportunity to have a space like that and say, listen, we'll serve you cheaper than stadium beers, right? Hey, they're going to be cheaper. They're going to be a little more expensive than the bar down the street, but they're going to be cheaper than the beers inside the stadium. And oh, by the way, we're also going to have a full grill back here. Maybe we get Duff's involved. We're going to have chicken wings in here. We're going to have beef on weck from uh, Charlie the Butcher. He's going to have a stand. And oh, by the way, maybe over in one corner, so as not to be intrusive, we're going to have a band going, but it's so big, you can go over there and enjoy the band, or you can hang out over here and just listen to music that we're pumping through speakers to get you all fired up for game day with a DJ and giveaways, and it's a party. It's a legitimate party before every single Bills game. The idea of creating a space like that, like what they have in Green Bay, not only that, but you can sell naming rights to it. I, it. It's worked in Green Bay. It generates them more than $22 million a year in revenue. Yep. Welcome a, welcome to Entenmann's Tailgate Village. <laughs> That's why we can't ever let Mark Smith get too big. we got to keep cutting him down. But there's a real opportunity there for something. Also, the Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame. Let's talk about that. It's currently located at KeyBank Center when it's not on loan to the Bison Stadium. I don't know how many people go in there, but I'd argue that if the Bills and PSE could find a way to take the Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame and also incorporate it into a new stadium while making attendance for it a more immersive experience. And Chris, I'm a big Buffalo sports like guy. What do you think about that? I would be for a Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame as a part of the new Bills Stadium. I've only been to that Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame inside uh, KeyBank Center, I think, once, and that was in 06. And it kind of sucked, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like it, you walk in and you're like, okay, here's a bunch of trophy cases, none of which have a major title in them. So what are we here celebrating? But if you could find a way to do and it's literally just a room that you walk in and then walk out the other side of. Instead, if you could take that and make it a more immersive experience. I mean, nobody's attending the Sabres games anyway, and the Bisons don't even have a season this year. It's for as many things as there are to do downtown, nobody, neither one of those venues is as highly trafficked as a, of a destination or a place where people can go and park and just walk in. The Hall of Fame being there doesn't make any sense. 90% of either arena isn't open during its business hours. But if you fleshed it out, it could become an attraction that brings people to the stadium. And as such, to whatever beer gardens and shops, including a revamped bill store, are part of this experience. And again, it just becomes, you're taking something that right now generates nothing in terms of revenue, and you could make it a money generator for you by default of being close to bars, restaurants, a Bills store. This is just one man. I mean, I don't need Jerry Jones telling me I'm not working hard enough. I'm doing the thinking for you. And then here's the big one. And this is the this is the whole Megillah right here. Bills fans, Creek Degenerate if you're out there. Greg Thompson, this should pique your interest. Sports Book and Casino. Now, this is the big one. 
The Pagulas were one of the major contributors of lobbyist pressure that led Governor Cuomo to changing course on his previous ban of sports gambling. You don't do that out of the goodness of your heart. Chris, I'm not going to go hire a team of lobbyists just because I'm a do-gooder. I want something in return. There's an end game here if you're spending that kind of money. Now, talk of in-stadium betting has been a thing around the NFL for years as soon as sports betting started getting legalized in various states around the country. And yet for all of that smoke, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of fire. But that could be changing. And in an effort to appease the Jerry Joneses of the NFL, the NFL ownership hierarchy, that are mandating that the Buffalo Bills should be making all efforts conceivable and thinking outside of the box to create additional revenue, both for themselves and the league, the Bills, with their small market status, might just be the perfect place to run a pilot program for what would eventually, what could eventually be the league-wide standard. Having a sports book and maybe a small video poker room and some bars inside of, attached to it, inside of your stadium. Potentially creating revenue that didn't previously exist, all while buying them some goodwill from their fellow owners is they volunteer to be the sacrificial first monkey shot into space in terms of allowing the rest of the league to sit back and watch their struggles and growing pains in developing this pilot program for an NFL stadium sports book. Chris, am I being crazy here or does the line of thinking I laid out to how we got here, like the Pagulas helped get this thing off the ground. I Creek mean, Degenerate would have nowhere to go to place bets on sports if it wasn't for the Pagulas. They didn't just do that for his benefit so that Seneca Creek Casino could make money. No, I would mean Creek Degenerate would be down at the sportsbook running parlays just before 1 o'clock inside the stadium. That's what we'd be doing. Exactly my point. Now... Current law states, before somebody comes and finger wags me, actually, you know, Oscar from the office, which speaking of which, total aside, uh, Super Mexican DM'd us about beers. You want to talk about actuallying people? He goes, I don't want to be the guy, but I just want you to know, let me write you nine paragraphs about how Mexican beer is actually German beer because Germans went to Mexicans. The beer that we reviewed on the last podcast from Young Lion, their Mexican lager, it was no more Mexican than Robert Downey Jr. playing his character in the movie All Star Weekend, which is the which is to say the whitest white guy pretending to be Hispanic. That's it. That's 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 how Mexican that lager was. Super Mexican, we love you. And yes, I can't wait to have a couple beers with you this season at a game. But that was a terrible beer. And I do not give this Mexican lager idea a pass. Now, current law states that you cannot operate a sports book any place where there is current on-track slash off-track betting already, already in existence. And that would make Erie County one of those places. So technically, by the letter of the law, KeyBank Center and uh, Ruffles, you know, Ruffles Stadium, which is what I'm going to call it because I refuse to call it Highmark. And you people are, if you do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go... I'm going to give you a little, you're going to call it Highmark. Just know that. Just know that you're going to get that from me. Law states you can't do it here in Western New York. But two years ago, you couldn't bet on sports here in the state. And clearly that changed 
which indicates that we could see this sooner rather than later. And I think, Chris, that could be the cherry on top of this whole thing that makes an Orchard Park Stadium work. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Maybe, most importantly, if we win a Super Bowl in 2021, does the official nickname, regardless of naming rights, automatically have to become the house that Josh built? It has to be. (laughs) This Orchard Park Stadium that, that we just want, if we win a Super Bowl here this year, do we have to call it the house that, regardless of what naming rights get slapped on it, the Ralph Wilson thing, that goes away. The Highmark thing, that never gets talked about again. Instead, it will forever be known amongst Bill's Mafia as the house that Josh built. It's the same thing that Peyton Manning did in Indianapolis. You're damn right. Lucas Oil Stadium would not have been built if they didn't land. Who called it Lucas Oil Stadium? Yeah, it's the house that Peyton built. <sighs> Folks, thank you for taking this ride of just madness and me yelling at a lot of you. Hopefully I didn't hurt too many of your feelings, and if I did, hopefully I explained it well enough that you know I'm not attacking you personally, except for Chris's neighbor, I'll attack the guy personally, Um, but (laughs) I digress. Hopefully you all learned something here tonight, you can find, walk away from this with a little bit of peace, and have a broader perspective of the various issues at play with the stadium issue as it moves forward. Let us know how you think and feel after listening to the show and if it's changed the way that you look at things at Rockpile Report on Twitter, RockpileReport716 at gmail.com. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you lending me all your ears, but I got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been your Rockpile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.